you might want to keep a, a thumb or a finger there in John chapter 1. But our springboard passage is Revelation 19. So you may want to open there in a minute. Uh, I did provide some uh, gospel tracts, Christmas-oriented gospel tracts that are around the, the corner as you go out the foyer to the left, um, just around the, by the Christmas tree. There's a variety of tracts available, um, different styles. So some, one of them is a little quasi-humorous, um, and others are a little more, more sentimental, others a bit more serious. So you might want to take a look at them and discern which tract is best for the target you've got in mind, uh, the person that you want to do. If you don't have a specific person in mind, grab the tract and just leave it on a table where, where you might be dining or something like that, and we'll just begin to get the word out. Now, on the, on the table, there's also a few little stickers that do have Grace Bible Church on there. If you want to identify or have us identified, put the, you can grab a bunch of those stickers put on the back. I just didn't have the time to do all of them. So we can share in the work together. All right. Um, we, let's uh, go to Revelation 19. And with John 1 in mind, uh, I'd, I'd like to read verses 11 to 16 of Revelation 19. Verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We are looking this season at some titles of Christ, titles of our Lord Jesus, particular titles as we anticipate his second coming, but reflecting on the first coming as we anticipate the celebration of Christmas and how the two weave together. Christ began his work and he will complete his work. He came once and he'll come a second time, the first advent and the second advent. Christ has come in order that we might know the triune God. God sent the Son so that we can know who God is. As we read of, his, of some of his attributes, his love is one of those. And all of his essential attributes all of his attributes are essential to our own happiness and our own hope. And in these seasons, we need to reflect upon who God is. And God reveals himself in his names. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And 
we have these specific, we call them sobriquets, right? Can we say that one again? It's a new word for most of us, sobriquet. Isn't it beautiful? Beautiful. It means nickname, moniker, uh, title, uh, epithet, something like that. Each one brings a unique facet of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The second name, actually, in this passage of Revelation 19, we don't have. A name written that no one knows but himself, verse 12. The one who shall remain nameless. Now, why would that be? Why would we not know that name? Now, you've got to think through the whole book of Revelation, I suppose. Could we do that? Well, you have to come Sunday night so we think through one chapter at a time. Um, but there is, a, there is another rider on a white horse who came earlier, I think around chapter 6. He's identified as the beast, the Antichrist, making war. And he has a diadem. This one has multiple diadems. His name, as you go through the book of Revelation, can be identified. And the number of his name is 666. They knew. I wish we did. I think we might have a clue. Anyway, that's, that's for Sunday evening conversation. But he's identified. That beast, that Antichrist, is identified in the number 666. But this white rider, this, the Lord himself, Jesus Christ has a name by which no one knows but he himself. No one can invoke his name and muse or manipulate his power. If you have control of someone's name, you have control over them. You, you may have had classes on that kind of thing, training on how to use people's names. We've been given the name Jesus by which we can come and approach the Father in heaven. But there is more to him than even that revelation of Jesus. There, there is more. It's, go back to Genesis and Jacob is wrestling with the angel of the Lord and Jacob says, tell me your name. You know, they, they're, they're kind of at a, a supposed standoff. And Jacob says, tell me your name. And he's, he's thinking if he can get the name of this person, he can invoke power against that person. He knows his identity. And, and the angel of the Lord says, not going to give it to you. It's too wonderful for you. And then wrenches Jacob's hip out. <laughs> Be careful what you ask for. Um. That is what's going on here in Revelation 19. Jesus comes in great power. And only his power. And none of his enemies will ever be able to curse him or invoke any power to dissuade him or stop his mission. That's why there's no name known to us but only to him. 
But it goes on, verse 13, he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called. Now we do have a name. We have Jesus, we have the faithful and true one, and now we're given another name, the Word of God. This is the only uh, direct place in Revelation where the Word is identified with Jesus as a title. Now, there may be a parallel in another, another aspect, but the Word of God is used four other times, and it's always in relationship to the testimony or the testimony of Jesus. So that the, the Word of God is, in fact, wrapped up in the person and the work of Jesus. His life, his ministry, his, his doing, his dying, his death, his resurrection. This envelops what it is to be the Word of God, the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, in this context, we have a very specific application of the Word of God, but we're going to save that for the last application. We're going to do three more before that just to round out our idea of what does it mean for Jesus to be the Word of God. First of all, He's creative. He is the creative Word of God. We read this in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. All things were made through the Word. And without the Word was not anything made that was made. In Him, in the Word, was life, and the life was the light of men. We can go to Genesis and read the creation account in chapter 1, chapter 2, and, and we see God spoke. God spoke, and there was. Out of nothing, God creates he speaks being into being. And that word is the second person of the Godhead, the eternal Son. The creative word. Uh, everything that is, seen and unseen, is spoken into existence. The flowers, the mountains, the northern lights, the animals, the the sun sets, the, the moon sets, spoke into existence. Colossians uh, develops this in a, a similar kind of way. Colossians 1, uh, verse 15 and following. Uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn does not mean anything biological or genetic or even chronological. Firstborn itself is another title for Christ. When we went through Colossians, we highlighted that. It's a title. It's a title of a king. David is a firstborn, even though he was the seventh son. The firstborn is the king. He is the king of all, and we'll come to that title later for Verse 16 goes on to say, By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he holds everything together, verse 17 says. Get, catch this, verse 16. By him all things were created through him and for him. By, through, and for the Son, the Word, Jesus, is 
the creator and the sustainer of that creation, if he ever stops speaking, we're anathema. We cease to be. We cease to exist. He, he sustains us moment by moment by the breath of God himself. This creative word. Now, as the choir ministered and, and spoke to us, it also identified a new creation. That yes, that, that Jesus who was born in Bethlehem of Judea, and as the young men read, wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, so he can be born in us, and he does that again by the word. We must be born again, and Christ then is within us, indwelling us by his Spirit, bringing us to life, that which was nothing. We say we were dead in trespasses and sin, but spiritual death means there's absolutely nothing there. And even as God spoke into the creation, Genesis 1 and 2, and then there was, and as the Spirit came upon Mary and in an empty womb, then there was a conceived Son. And so the Spirit of God breathes upon you with the Word of God, and you come to be a spiritual being, a living spiritual being, life in Christ, born again. The same creative word brings us into the family of God. It, that's what John 1 also said, born not of, a, not of a father's will, but the will of God. Amazing, this creative word. Well, he's also communicative, this word. Um, Jesus is the communication of God, and even as we've, we've talked about creation and the God speaking and that act of speech and the breath of God going forth, there, there is that aspect of communication. But there's more to communication. The whole of Jesus' person, life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, his doing, his dying, the whole of it is a communication from God to us. God comes in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. God shares his thoughts. Not all of them. The secret things belong to him, but he shares with us his thoughts. He shares with us his plans and his purposes for the creation, for his people. Jesus is the revelation of God. He is the intelligent communication of God. Again, as we read in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the revelation, the manifestation of God. Hebrews 1, another epic passage. You put John 1 together with Hebrews 1, and you just... And, and then Ephesians 1. And you've got epic history, redemptive history. Well, Hebrews 1. You wonder where authors and writers get their stuff. 
God's the best source. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things and through whom also He created the world. See this dovetailing of creation and communication. Verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Again, that integration of Creation and communication, the power of the Word. Jesus, who is the Word, God in the flesh, communicates to us. Again, he would say to his disciples, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. They saw Christ in body, in time and space. They beheld him. We look forward to that day. We look forward to the day when, as the song says, faith shall be sight. When hoping is fulfilled. Not wishing, but hope built on evidence, built on certainty that God keeps His Word. And Jesus is the manifestation of that word. Creating word, communicating word, culminating word. God's word is the end. The final, the fullness of all. God's word is complete. And Jesus, the word of God, fulfills all of the scriptures that are written of him. And he sets in motion and also finishes the plan of God. And Jesus is all that we need. We, we need the Word, living and written. And in that, we have all we need for life and godliness. No, that doesn't mean that we don't have other books, that we have other manuals. It doesn't mean we don't have other observations of history and science and nature from which also is a revelation of God if we read Romans 1 and 2. But a fuller picture, a fuller filling in of that revelation in the Word of God. Jesus is the fullness. Matthew uses a term fulfillment several times, many times in his Gospel. And particularly when Jesus is fulfilling Scripture. It's an interesting study. But here's one, one case, just to help us. 5.17, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets. He's the fullness of them. He is what they mean. He is what they point to. He's the fullness of history. The culmination of history. Galatians chapter 4. Another epic passage. 
Galatians 4, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law. The fullness of time. At just the right time. Christ, the word of God, is the fulfillment of history. In him is purpose. The whole reason for creation. Remember? By him, through him, for him. The, the father went about this plan of creation to give. Have you, have you noted God's character and nature is to give? We highlighted this in Esther in the closing chapters 9 and 10, didn't we? God gives. God gave to His Son the creation. And God gave His Son to the world. God gives. That's the paradigm through which we come to a Christmas season and the giving and the receiving of gifts. But back to our thought. In the Old Testament Bible way of thinking, word is not simply a, something on a page. Word is not a lifeless thing. A word is a living thing, and it, it achieves what it is intended to do. The Word of God, in fact, is fulfilling the purpose of God. We have a couple of prophets that talk about the nature of God's Word that is always fulfilling its purpose. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 29, is not my word like fire and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? Wow. We, we know about the sword of the Spirit, but a hammer, better than Thor's. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the earth. See again the creative nature of the word of God. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Jesus, the Word of God, is the culmination of God's plan and purpose for His people, for creation. And Jesus on the cross, in that fullness, is able to say, it is finished. Well, lastly, we'll identify the conquering Word. And this brings us more immediately to the application and passage here in Revelation 19. You see this as we read it, a very warrior-like figure of Jesus. He is the Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord God Almighty, the God of the heavenly hosts, the God of the heavenly armies. And He comes. He comes as the Word of God with authority and decisive finality to judge. And He judges being the Word of God with the Word of God. Verse 15, 
From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And again, verse uh, 21. The rest are slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him sitting on the horse. The word of God judges by the word itself. Again, many passages that would share this intent and destiny of the Son. John's Gospel, chapter 12 and verse 48. The word that I have spoken will judge on the last day. The words that Jesus has spoken will judge on the last day. Are you listening? Do you hear His Word? Do you hear Him? Another passage that we go to often in this season is Isaiah 11, who anticipates a son, a child that would be born, who would become prince and rule. Isaiah 11 verse 4 says, With righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Jesus is the conquering word of God. In this creative word, communicative word, culminative word, conquering word, we have the light and life of God for his people. And, and in this, as God's people, we are comforted. He's coming. He'll make everything right. He will vindicate His people. Wait for Him. Again, Proverbs 20 and verse 22. Wait for the Lord, and He will deliver you. Wait for the Lord. Now, the first half of that verse, Proverbs 20, 21, don't take judgment into your own hands. Wait for the Lord, and He will deliver you. This is a time of waiting. But in it, we find peace and hope and joy and love, the comfort of God. Now, we can rest as we wait. And we abide in the Word. Abide in the Word. He is exalted above all things, His name and His Word, as we read. Now this season, we make our lists, our wish lists. And we anticipate getting everything on our list. Well, as we get older, we realize we won't get everything on our list. And those of us younger, we need to remember that the people to whom we're asking to receive are limited resources. Our parents have only so much that they can give. As the, but then there's the other aspect of it as the, the song goes, whether you've been naughty or nice. 
But the true meaning of Christmas, the reason for the season, is found in the nature of God who is a loving God, a giving God. He loved and He gave Himself. And, and in this, Word made flesh, He not only dwelt among us, but now if you've been born again by His Word, then He's abiding in you. Not only with you, but in you. He dwells within you, and this is the greatest gift. This is the presence of God within you. And John chapter 15 and verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Later he'll say, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can make your list, your wish list, for God, with God. Now, if you're abiding in His Word and abiding in His love, that has a radical impact on what you put on your list. An alternative cultural list. But it's all that you need for life and godliness. And as we abide in the Word and the Word abides in us, not, not, not only the written Word, not only reading, but abiding. Constantly abiding with and in Christ. The Father made you for Him. He is God's gift to you and you are God's gift to Him. The Spirit of God is our inheritance and we are the inheritance for Christ. That mutual relationship is what we celebrate at Christmas. Here in the one who is the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, revealing yourself to us. We see but in a mirror dimly, then face to face. May our longings be fulfilled, our hopes realized, our faith renewed, our joy deepened, our peace confirmed. We thank you for the word written, for the word living, and through him, we come to you. If we have never received of him before, might we come now asking you for life and light, the forgiveness of sin and restored fellowship with you, God our Maker, because of Jesus who came in the flesh and died for my sin but was raised that I might have life everlasting. It is He who we receive.
and give our lives to you. Amen.